confidence starts with loving who you are. And when your skin feels nourished and glows on the outside, you naturally radiate confidence from the inside. Give your skin a glow up with Osea's clinically proven Mega Moisture Duo. This ultra-hydrating body care features two of Osea's bestsellers, Andaria Algae Body Oil and Andaria Collagen Body Lotion. These seaweed-powered heroes use skincare-level ingredients normally reserved for your face for results you can see and confidence you can feel. Osea has been making clean, clinically proven seaweed-infused face and body care products for over 28 years. This luxurious skincare is vegan, cruelty-free, and climate-neutral certified, so you never have to choose between your values and your best skin. Glow from the inside out. Get 10% off your first order with code GLOW at OseaMalibu.com. That's O-S-E-A Malibu.com, code GLOW. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Hello and welcome to The Promised Land, a show about Manchester United and part of the 90 Min Podcast Network. I'm Scott Saunders, joined as ever by Rob Blanchett, talking all things Manchester United. We're even going to talk today a little bit about Manchester City because they're on on the horizon for Manchester United at the start of June. All conquering by the looks of it, Manchester City. They could eclipse, even though it's the same achievement as the United 99 treble winners. We're finally going to do it. We're finally going to talk about that in relation to United. But uh, yeah, Rob, how are you doing? How are you? How are you digesting how good Manchester City are? Um, oh, digesting. Oh, indigestion may be the better word for it. Um, look, it's not anything we don't know in football in terms, isn't it? Like Pep Guardiola is a really good coach. He's got a really good striker at the top end of the other end of the pitch. And he can bring in someone like Bernardo Silva, who sits on Man City's bench and then comes on and be a hero, isn't it? So not every football club have got that. But I think Manchester City have been fairly lucky with the way that they've built that squad over maybe a 10-year period. They're, they're now kind of maturing in football in terms. But we're going to talk about kind of all the wider aspects and connotations of why Manchester City are as successful as they are. In relation to United as well, because I feel like there's something on the horizon for Manchester United, which could put, not in a similar, it'll take a long time probably for them to reach the heights that City have or Hmm. are reaching. Uh, But yeah, stay tuned for that. We'll talk about that at the top. We'll look ahead to the Bournemouth game. Marcus Rashford is back from injury. Fingers crossed. United need two wins from three games to seal top four. If they can beat Bournemouth at the weekend, I will feel much more confident that they are able to finally close that off. We'll talk a little bit of Sadio Mane as well. Some weird links uh, (laughs) with Sadio Mane to Manchester United. Um, Also, stick around at the end because, uh, as you may understand from the description or the title of the show, Dimitar Berbatov, I spoke to him earlier this week, and we will run a quick interview that we had with him later on in the show where he says some interesting things about Harry Kane, Victor Osserman, Alejandro Garnacho, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, So subscribe to our show wherever you get your pods, Apple, Google, Spotify, and the likes. We're on YouTube as well. Tuesdays and Fridays, please head head over to the channel, like, subscribe, leave a comment for us. We do see them. Five-star reviews, et cetera, et cetera. We need them. Uh, you can also follow us on Twitter as well, at underscore Scott Saunders, at underscore Rob underscore B, and that promise and MU for the show. But we will kick off with uh, Manchester City because they've obliterated Real Madrid 4-0 in the Champions League. Now, this is the culmination, it seems, on the pitch of 15 years of putting the best people in the best places to pr- make the best product. And it feels like the world has been completely enamoured with the football that Manchester City are putting on the pitch, and with good reason. City are very, 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 very good. As good as we've ever seen, really. Uh, But it's pertinent to United, because not only do they play them in the FA Cup final on the 3rd of June, and United at least have a fist of 
being able to try and stop their travel charge, whether they will or whether they won't, is anybody's guess. Not many United fans are confident because City are so good at the moment. But the ownership situation in the background around United, we have not spoken about this too much uh, because there is different news coming out from different places. Things change all the time. We, we always said we were going to wait until something's official to actually talk about the Qatar bid, the Sir Jim Ratcliffe bid. We wait until a preferred bidder comes in, but we feel this is a pertinent and a, an appropriate time to maybe discuss City's on-field success because it leads to a few questions about United as well. Is that mm. fair, Rob? Very fair. And I do think that when we look at Manchester City's success, some of the things that have enabled that success, but at the same time, a lot of the kind of conjecture around their 10-year project, what does it mean for football? What does it mean for Manchester City itself as well? What does it mean for the sport? There's a lot of those things now which swirl around the Sky Blues football club that we will now be able to apply maybe to the Red Devils very soon. So this is why we've said we're going to kind of hold our opinion and wait for news because obviously everyone knows the two bidders in the process for Manchester United and everybody knows that the Glazers are playing everyone off everyone and trying to get the offer that they want. We do also understand that there is more likely a bidder at the moment who is favoured. So that's not brand new news, is it? But we also kind of want to talk about what Manchester United could be if they go the Man City route and also the good stuff about that, but generally also some of the bad stuff. So just some background on Manchester City. We all know how good they are on the pitch. We know what you see. They obliterated Real Madrid. Completely deserved to win they're the best team in Europe by a country mile. Mm. They'll beat into Milan formality. I think it's literally that. It is literally as big a formality as I think I've ever seen in the Champions League final. Uh, now, Abu Dhabi bought Manchester City in 2008. Yeah, They plunged a lot of money into the club, not only in the playing squad, but into the facilities, into the surrounding area, which is obviously a, is a very good thing. Uh, plunged money into the youth academy and now you see prospects like Phil Foden and Cole Palmer who are starting to integrate into the team finally starting to see those players come through notably not one of them started in the win over Real Madrid the other day they in 2012 employed Ferran Soriano Tiki Begeristein waited four years for Pep Guardiola the world's best coach to finally have his sabbatical, finish his job with Bayern Munich and come to the Premier League. Mm -hmm. And I, I said this yesterday on the 90 Min YouTube channel. They gave him three goalkeepers, whatever. Bought, bought Claudio Bravo. He decided it wasn't it. Six fullbacks. Him out. <laughs> I, I, I said eight fullbacks. All right. you know, that, that, that's a 50 million fullbacks everywhere you turn. Mm. Carl Walker's managed to stick around and has done very well. But, you know, uh, there's been other players that have come in and not really worked out. And it's just a case of they, they're able to discard these players. They, they signed Calvin Phillips in the summer for 40-odd million quid. He's barely made an appearance and nobody talks about it uh, because City is so good. Mm. Now, that ultimately is where football is. Newcastle, United will probably reach those heights in the next few years. Definitely. But obviously, we know about the, the charges in relation to Manchester City's spending and mm. their, their finances. Not only if they come through UEFA... And they've managed to get around those on appeal at the Court of Arbitration for Sport. But now there's 115 charges from the Premier League, which have been leveled against Manchester City. And coincidentally, they waited until yesterday, as we record this, to lodge their first legal challenge to it because uh, they don't agree that the, the person making the decision is an Arsenal fan, obviously. Uh, but I did notice yesterday in, in a Times article, Rob, that in the Court of Arbitration for Sport, case there was three judges and the UEFA allowed Manchester City to appoint two of them so I didn't know if you knew that but I did catch that yesterday so big picture I mean that's how Manchester City have come to this point you can separate the football the football team Pep Guardiola I'm not taking anything away from them at all they are fantastic an absolutely fantastic football team yeah but do you want to live with if, if you're a United fan and you're posed with the choice. Do you want to live with that lying underneath? 
Well, this is the existential question that every Manchester United fan is going to face in the next few weeks, potentially. Wherever Man United go, Radcliffe, Qatar, whatever, there, there is, there's questions, isn't there? You either got sports washing versus petro washing. So there's all sorts of things here. Like you, you can kind of dig as deep as you want. But let's be honest. The common football fan doesn't really care. The common football fan turns their telly on to watch their team win. So this is where football understands where the power lies. Football knows what fans want and it's winning. And what we've seen, isn't it, Scott? I think in the last few you know days and weeks with the Manchester United fan base, that's been a common thread from maybe a lot of the, 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 the talking heads around our football club who like to talk about Manchester United every day of the week, you know, with their green screens behind them, is that they kind of want to go, well, I want Man United to win. And there's never, ever any talk about how you win. And there's never any talk about why you win. None of that stuff. It's just about the scoreline being in your favour every week. So we did touch on that a few weeks ago. We kind of did a bit originally and then we went, right, we're shutting up now because it's so divisive and so many people, like when we talked about Qatar before, I had so many people come after me on Twitter and stuff. It was it was horrible. And I don't want to live like that, not really. But we're at a stage now, I think we're looking at Manchester City and we're saying to United fans, you know, do you want this hanging over your head? Are you okay with it? You know, are you okay to go into what we are now calling, not just sports washing, but financial doping. You know, are you going to be okay, like in a Lance Armstrong situation where he wins all the Tour de France's and that's amazing and they make films about it and they celebrate it and then all those Tour de France's get taken off him. So this is where Man City lie and we know this. So like, yay, the football's great. There's no doubt about it. Pep is a fantastic coach generational coach is invented an amazing team. And as you said, we're pretty much unlimited funds, but we don't want to be salty, Scott. We don't want to be like, we are Man United fans, but we're not talking about it as Man United fans in that context of Man City. We're talking about it in terms of people that work in the industry and people that understand that part of the game. So, you know, I, I look at this and I think the United fans are going to have to make that decision that if United become a sports washing project, that are you happy to be Manchester United or are you happy to be Manchester City 2.0? Because that's what we will be. We will be the latter. And we, everything we ever win will always, always be questioned. A lot of United fans don't care about that. But as I stand at Old Trafford every week, Scott, I do. I do care about that kind of thing. So um, there's so much to talk about around this. And obviously, once the, the preferred bid is in, we can kind of make our preferences known a little bit more deeper. Uh, important point for, for us to make here. I, and I'm sure Rob will say, we are not, and we have no intention of telling anybody how to feel. No. You know, it's completely your choice. There's just, there are questions because I... My look, the way I look at Manchester City is I appreciate how great the football is. I called it footballing perfection because it essentially is. What we're hmm. seeing over the last few weeks is football in its absolute finest form. But is how organic is it? Like that, that's, that's the thing that gets me. Like I, I have received many uh, salty labels on uh, on the channel and like through my tweets, all these replies, you know, it's anytime I kind of bring it up, it's you're just jealous that Manchester Manchester mm. United have spent the money terribly in comparison to Manchester City. The difference between that spending is the Glazers who don't give a damn about making Manchester United the best club in the world put Ed Woodward in charge of running the football operations for 10 years. And now as a result, you see Harry Maguire being bought for 80 million quid. You see all of these players that have been bought and ultimately have failed at United. Well, hmm. City have bought player after player and some, they got some wrong, obviously, but they have the ability to go and correct those mistakes because ultimately they've been built in this way. And what we see on the pitch is, I want to say this again, we are seeing incredible football and you, we, we probably need to make a point of trying to separate the incredible football from the background, but they are interlinked. They are interlinked. Yeah, yeah. You, you can obviously say that the football is incredible and say, I'm not taking anything away from Pep Guardiola. He's a, he's a fantastic, fantastic coach. Erling Haaland is going to be the best striker in the world for 15 years, probably. Mm -hmm. Kevin De Bruyne is the best midfielder in, in Europe and has been for a number of years or in, in the Premier League, at least. You know, 
all of these and the players will win trophy after trophy after trophy. The city fans who've been waiting for these days for years and years will appreciate it. But how authentic is it? That that's the, that's the thing. Yeah. And if Qatar are successful in their bid for United, ultimately that that conversation is going to have to be had around Man United as well. Absolutely. And 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 again, there's always so much conjecture about if buts and maybes about you know why do we say these things and you know what's the motivation? Well, the motivation always is is that that there is a preference of doing it the organic way. You know, that's the preference. And that might be idealism and you can kind of spit a million words out around that. But it's not just that. It's just that we've spent 10 years criticising the Manchester City project for what it is and why they do it. We have. And we've done that for good reason. That is not to stop Manchester City being successful. That is not the reason for it. What we're saying is, do you want this level of financial doping in the sport? Now, I'm just going to kind of add some context to that because it does go back in time. And I remember asking a question out loud. I think I might have said it on Twitter or on a show a while ago going back about. So Manchester City have a stadium called the Etihad, who are sponsored by the Etihad. I put the question forward at the time around financial fair play of how is it that people that have bought that football club sit on the board, have family members that sit on the board of that entity who now sponsor Manchester City and put funds and revenues into that club because that contravenes financial fair play. Now, this is where this has all started. This was like 10 years ago. This is not recent. This has been going on forever. And what's happened is that through Manchester City's financial power and their objectives is that they've kind of got around it for a long time. Now, they have 115 outstanding charges with the Premier League, which are about to come to pass, and we're about to hear more about them. City, as you said, have gone and appointed their people now, and this is this is an ongoing process, and everything that there is alleged rather than fact at the moment. But we know how these sports washing projects are constructed, and we know why they are. And do you know what, Scott? It's got nothing to do with winning football matches. Nothing. This is about making yourself look more powerful, be more powerful and showing the world that you can flex your muscle when you want. That's all it is. Now, other people say, oh, no, it's about sports, it's about winning games. Well, yes and no. When you look at the Glazers, I always used to say this, the Glazers want to win. They just don't want to do what it takes to win. So to them, it's about profit. So they'll take the profit and they go. Man City's owners, it's not about profit. It's about image. It's about showing that they can take a club as bad as Man City were, a third tier team only 25 years ago. Yeah, a really bad 15 years ago, Rob, they lost 8-1 to Middle. 15 years ago, they lost 8-1 to Middlesbrough. Exactly. And the reason they bought Man City is because it was a low price to get into the game, to be able to take a club at the top level and be able to turn them into this team. Now, this is what has happened at Newcastle. Do Newcastle fans care? No. But that club was bought low, not to sell high, but to show what we can do with this failing football club. Now, Geordies don't care about that. I get that. But you've always got to ask, why do these owners want that football club? What do they want to do? I don't care. Do they care about the soul of that team? You put something in that there, but it just got, which everyone talks about all the time. And it's about the investment shape Manchester's put into the local area around Eastland and around that part of Manchester. And you have to say, okay, cool. You've done all that. But again, I want to ask why. Like, what do you get from it? What do you get back from it? Is it profit? Are you a landlord? Are you? Why are you doing it? not doing it out of the goodness of their heart. So we're going to see this at Manchester United as well, is that you might see a load of investment go into the local area around Old Trafford and Stretford. And people will say, oh, that's a good thing. You know, they've built a brand new Asda next door. Yay. Why? You know, I, I want to see United win football matches because they've worked hard for it and they've got their organically. So I think this is the balancing point. And we managed to City. It is not lost on Man City fans. As I've said before, half my family are City fans, half of them are Reds. Yeah. And they all know the truth. They all know the truth. They stood at Main Road when City were a bad team and they celebrated their club. They know what happened and where, where they are today. Um, and it's not lost on City fans. People say it is, but it really isn't. City fans who've been here a long time understand that, you know, they're in the Wonka factory and they've got the golden ticket. But that's not jealousy. Because you know what? I don't want to be in the Wonka factory, Scott. I don't want the golden ticket. 
I'm really happy with the history of Manchester United as a football club. And I support them because it's my family club. So I want United to kind of carry on being that authentic Manchester team. Might, people might say, well, that's not true anyway anymore, that United are bigger than that. And I can understand that as well. And as you said, we're not trying to make people feel something. But I think we've got to look at the facts. And the facts so often get washed away, don't they? When teams win games, you beat Real Madrid. Everyone wants to forget about why and how you beat Real Madrid. They just see the scoreline. And it was a very, very, very impressive performance. I'm just going to pull up now. Let me see. How are we doing for time? Just going to pull up an extract from Jonathan Liu, right? Yes. The brilliant Jonathan Liu. No, no, I've not read. I don't know what you're going to say, but Jonathan Liu is fantastic. There there is a, a piece that he wrote after City crushed Madrid. Hmm. And there are three paragraphs at the end, which I think sum it up perfectly. It summed up how I feel about this perfectly. Hmm. <clears throat> um, it's entitled, it's from The Guardian, Man City's in- inexorable... In- <laughs> I'm a journalist, I couldn't even, re- couldn't even re- bloody read that. Hard power <laughs> crushes Real Madrid. Now, uh, this is the extract from, from the piece that I particularly like, that's particularly pertinent. And he's very good at this. And so one of the world's richest states spends years trying to hire the world's greatest coach, succeeds, and then gives him literally everything he needs. Every other club in the world, with the exception of PSG, has to operate within the constraints of finance or, or fortune. Every other club in the world has flaws or problem areas that they can't address right now, but hope to at some point. Guardiola, by contrast, gets the staff that he wants, the players that he wants when he wants them, gets their replacements ahead of schedule. So you don't just sign only Haaland, you sign Alvarez to give him a rest. Calvin Phillips arrives for 45 million, doesn't play all season and it's fine. <laughs> you decide and just reflect on the breathtaking audacity of this for a second that you need an upgrade on Phil Foden and so up pops Jack Grealish. If someone accuses you of breaking the rules, you hire the world's greatest coach to shoot, uh, greatest lawyers to shoot them down. This is yeah. perfection, but not so much the perfection of great art as the perfection of a finely executed military campaign, the perfection of all, unlimited wealth, the perfection of political strength, the per- perfection of a pointless mile-high crystal pyramid in the middle of the desert. No academy players and no Mancunians started for City last night. Does this matter? And does anything matter? Nobody should begrudge City fans for their joy at this point. No. This has been their journey and their success as much as anyone else's. And with a little perspective, they may even realize that they are not as hated as they sometimes assume. This is where Mm. it gets good. Rather, the overwhelming sensation here for the neutral is indifference, a shrug at the inevitability of hard power. Everybody in this sport is tainted a little. And even on this unlevel playing field, City fans have earned their moment of consummate triumph. By the same token, nobody else is obliged to feel anything about it whatsoever. Now, that is... I went on for ages there. But no, that you is, didn't. That's good. You know, that is... You know, that, that summed up how I felt about it. The last line, particularly. Nobody else is obliged to feel anything about it whatsoever. I, I, like, you know, every, all of my criticism of this... It comes across as, oh, you're just jealous. I don't mm. feel anything watching Manchester City. I really don't. I, I appreciate the football because it's brilliant, but it doesn't make me feel anything. Yeah, I, I love the football technically, and I've said this before. You know, I think you know what they they put out on a football pitch. But like you said, it's it's a little bit like Manchester City are the like the chess masters of the game. Yeah, but on the chessboard. They've just got more pieces anyway, naturally. doesn't matter what happens. And if you've got more pieces, you're probably going to win, aren't you? So I think it does produce an apathy. What I will do, Scott, is just kind of compare it again to our football club. Let's bring it back home because I think that's what's really important here and important to the people that watch our show as United fans is that the thing I loved about Man United's success in the 90s and beyond is that I grew up being told that Manchester United were a football club that didn't win, right, in the 80s. That's what I was as a kid. And we still supported United, not because they won, but because we loved them. And that's why we supported them. And we, we, would, we would hate the football sometimes, but that's what happened. And when Fergie came, do you know what? The football was still rubbish, even for a long time. And we had to take a long time to organically build it and go from the ground up. And then we would all know what happened from there. People hate Man United because... Man United built that success and did it the organic way. And that was why for 10, 15, 20, 25 years, no one could get near us because Fergie built it the right way. Now, Fergie wasn't completely crystal clear about everything and not whiter than white, but that was the process. Now, people say this to me, and they say it a lot, is that, oh, what you want is Manchester United to just 
have their own wealth, no one else to have extra wealth. And then that means that you have the advantage. I keep pulling these things out of my ears. I keep doing it every show I'm doing at the moment. It's, it's, it's not my fault. Sorry. <laughs> but um, you, you see it all the time. And it's like people say that to me constantly. And they say, oh, well, that's a fine. That's kind of a sign of financial doping as well. No, because that money is is generated through football. It's a football project generated by a football team. And the way I look at it is this, Scott, is that I would absolutely bring in wage caps, spending caps, all sorts of caps in football and make it a level playing field. So Man United couldn't just spend their way out of problems. Now, I think this is where the problem comes with the free market of modern football, with, with sports washing, is that literally if you've got a trillion pound in your pocket, the apathy is you're probably going to win. Aren't you? You're probably going to win. But unfortunately, you are not doing it for trophies. I tweeted this yesterday. The sports watching projects do it because trophies equal power. That is it. They don't do it because trophies equal winning. And I think with football, we've got to get back to winning and losing. We've got to do it properly. And and unfortunately, I think also, Scott, the modern football fan doesn't look, view it like that. The modern football fan just views it as, oh, I cry when I lose. And when I win, I'm dead happy. And there's a load of United fans that have suffered 10 years of hardship under the Glazers who just want to win, just like Newcastle fans. But you know what, Scott? We are not Newcastle. We are not Man City, you know, from the main road era. We're Manchester United. We're bigger than that. We need an owner that helps us be Manchester United again, not be Manchester City 2.0. We've gone on about this for a little while, <clears throat> as I say. It always gets impassioned, doesn't it? <laughs> we do not, uh, and my intention is definitely not to sway whoever's listening or watching to sway your opinion. You feel yeah. how you you want to feel, you feel how you feel. Uh, that is absolutely fine. Uh, it's just there are questions to ask. Yeah. And it's particularly pertinent now because we are seeing on the pitch the results of everything that's gone on off it. Yeah, That's why this is a... Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Topic. And in, and in addition, and I think this is really important because we are now at a kind of crossroads in terms of who is the new owner going to be. We're going to find out very, very soon who the preferred owner is for the Glazers or the preferred bidder. Is that the shocking thing over the last one, two, three, four weeks is how the, the Qatar side of the bid has infiltrated the whole of the kind of Manchester United universe and how a lot of the Twitter accounts and everything along that line are doing their bidding. And we know absolutely 100% sure that those two things are connected. This is not like just fans who want Qatar. We know that they've bought into this. We know that there are there are background there. So we're not going to go mad into that. We're not people say, well, what are you talking about, Rob? But I think if you've got a Twitter account and you follow Man United fans, you absolutely know what's happening in terms of sports washing. You really, really do. In the same way that there are journalists who will not speak about Manchester City's success and will not talk about sports washing in the way that we are today. So I just hope that we don't have to do this with our football club in years to come. Because you imagine that, our, our show, Scots, where we have to go, well, yeah, we're a bit apathetic about winning everything because, you know, we've had a trillion pound pumped into us or whatever. That would be horrible, wouldn't it, that you'd be apathetic to your own winning? Like, that is, we should be celebrating those things. I'm not quite sure we'll be able to. And I think a lot of Man United fans don't actually really consider yet where this could go not really and I think there's so much focus on getting rid of the Glazers which we all want we all want the Glazers out I think every one of us is hashtag Glazers out but you've got to understand what's coming next you've got to and there is a lesser of two evils happening here the argument on the other side is and while I'll wrap this up now the argument on the other side is that if Sir Jim wins we'll never win anymore because it's just where United are incapable of competing with those clubs that do have that kind of wealth behind them. Anyway, uh, this is a, a conversation point for another day. It's going to uh, carry we, on. Yeah. We've done enough. We've done 25 minutes on it. So, you know, we'll, we will discuss this as things become more clear with the United's ownership situation. The Glazers have been dragging their heels on it for six months. Qatar have come back and they've made an 11th hour bid early this week 
to finally take the club. Mm-hmm. It's all been a big... I said this... I, I probably said this off camera, Rob. It's all been a big game for me to get as much money as they can out of this this Qatar bid, and we'll see where we go with it. But mm-hmm. yes, uh, expecting some news on that soon, but we have been yeah. expecting some news on that for about two months now. Uh, anyway. Yes, we, we have. And I, and I think <laughs> the thing is that we, we did say that one of our earlier shows about the, what the game that the Black Glazers are playing and why they're doing it the way that they are doing it and play, pulling on the heartstrings. Um, but you've got to ask why Qatar, who are infinitely richer than Sir Jim Radcliffe, value the club lower than Sir Jim Radcliffe. You really, really do. You really got to ask that question because this is supposedly an entity that has unlimited funds, but yet they have a limited price on this. So it's interesting because I think they will go bigger than Sir Jim. I really do. Let's see what happens. But the Glazers are, you know, the Glazers have their own agenda. And I think that is what's going to end up being the full stop at the end of the sentence here with whoever buys the football club. Uh, I think some of the connections that people are making between Jim Ratcliffe and the Glazers is absolutely wild because they're not really talking about the truth. They're only talking about preference. Now, talking of winning, Man United have to win. Well, they don't have to win, but they could really do with winning on Saturday. Yeah, they, they have Bournemouth, to. They, they have to win, really, don't they? I think if they don't win this and they have to win their last two, I think yeah, oh. they'll drop it. I really do. I think this is an important day for United. You beat Bournemouth away and you have to win one of your last two games at home to two teams who are in mid-table. Yeah. That Chelsea game looks like a banana skin. You got and uh, you got Mitrovic who's back from his suspension after, <sighs> you know, you know, know. on the last oh, day of the season, God. back from suspension after he was red carded at Old Trafford in the FA Cup. Yeah. A few months ago. Uh you never know. Bournemouth are safe. They were beaten by Chelsea a couple of weeks ago. You know, United need they need to just get their heads on this and just take three points at the vitality. And Marcus Rashford will hopefully be back to help them do it. Mm. Yeah, a bit worrying, wouldn't, <laughs> wouldn't you say? I think the thing is that Bournemouth. Again, I said this last week. Showed that you know Bournemouth have kind of done their job. So when you get to this point in the season really United should be able to take advantage of that. So this feels like a double bluff, doesn't it? Because you kind of go, well, you should beat Bournemouth, shouldn't you? Even though you're on the road. But then again, like Bournemouth are a decent team. They've shown that they're decent. They're not great, but they've got players that can hurt you. It's all about Man United again, Scott, isn't it? This is about ourselves. It's about our looking inwards and knowing what we've got. Um, Marcus coming back. Hopefully Marcus is going to be able to play in these final games of the season. That's a big boost for United we'll talk a little bit more about that in a second but I do think United is that this is all about rising to the challenge we're going to really see whether Man United are a valid top four outfit this year like I know we've got there and we've been there all season long but it doesn't matter what matters is that you're there on the final day and Manchester United have had plenty of opportunities you saw here with Newcastle Newcastle get Brighton come to them and Newcastle completely turn them over because Newcastle know what they want yeah now, again, Newcastle's future success, but some of the stuff we've just talked about with sports washing is all going to be tied in. But as, it, as in terms of football, you know, Eddie Howe's done a really good job there. Now, Eric Ten Hag's done a really good job at Man United as well, but it doesn't quite feel as advanced. You get what I mean? It feels like there's still things at Man United in terms of their personality that that great. And it means you go into this game, we should be really confident with what you've got, but you kind of go, if we drew this game, you wouldn't be surprised. And do you know what? If we lost it, you also wouldn't be surprised. So that's not a good look, is it? And I think that Man United, that's something that, that only winning really solves over a long period of time. So uh, a big game at, at Bournemouth. And it is a must win. Like we're at, we're at the end of the season now where you just cannot drop any more points. What did I say to you, Scott, weeks ago? If I was Ten Hag, I'd be saying you cannot drop any more points in the Premier League. Now that was a dozen games ago, I think it was. And United have dropped plenty of points and looked a bit of a basket case at times. We've got this FA Cup final coming up. It means nothing. Forget about that for now. Think about Bournemouth. Uh, I, I think we've got enough, Scott. I think we can beat Bournemouth, but it's really up to Man United to get over the line now. And you physically got to do it. You're not going to let anyone kind of help you do this. Brighton losing last night in some ways kind of helps you, didn't it? You know, like losing that game where they've been on this incredible run and playing good football. Obviously, they got thrashed at Everton. But losing as badly as they did at Newcastle 
puts away maybe their top four aspirations. But you've got that other team from down the road with their with their mate Salah, uh, who are looking above us, and they're saying, if you make one slip, we're going to burn you. We're going to take your place. And as I said, that would be the ultimate end failure to the season. The FA Cup final, then I just I don't know if I'd bother even turning up. I'd be like, right, whatever happens, even if you win it, what does it mean? Because for me, it's all about being top four now. This for this end part of the season. Bit of a change to the running order. Just a, just a reminder to stay tuned because we do have Dimitar Berbatov, uh, former Man United player, yeah. Man United striker, uh, speaking to us at, later on in the show. However, we're going to talk Sadio Mane. Maybe we can do that another day, Rob, because there's some breaking news. <gasps> Phil Jones is officially going to depart Manchester United after 12 years yes. at the end of his contract. Now, I have I seen you this week tweet about Phil Jones? You have. <laughs> uh, because very much a... I don't say figure of fun, but like hmm. people look at him and think, why are you still here? Uh, obviously, this has been a very hard period for Phil Jones. Um, now, he's actually spoken to the club. He said, it's been very difficult the last couple of years. There's no denying that. There's no hiding away. My family have been absolutely instrumental in keeping me on the straight and narrow and keeping me focused mm. to try and get fit to play and play more. But he's missed playing football. He hasn't played football for ages. He says he's been working tirelessly hard. It's It's been a hard one for him. Now, we know that that contract in 2019 that he did sign was it wasn't the right thing to do hmm. but he's made 19 appearances in that time i think or something like that um it's unfair is it fair to say it's, it's unfair the kind of uh stick he's been getting but obviously now the contract is up and now that it is it is time to to part ways but hmm. quick a quick word rob yeah i kind of hate it all so people who've read my tweets about Phil Jones over the years, I think understand where I'm coming from. And it's like his body broke down a long time ago, yeah? And he's worked so hard to try and get back for Manchester United. You know, we've got in the comments here, Harry's our producer, he's an Arsenal fan, yeah? And he's put a, a pop open the champagne, the original Maguire calling him. Now, he's allowed to say that because he's an Arsenal fan and that's his observation on it. But I think it's unfair. You know, I look at it this way with with Phil Jones, is that we bought this incredible young talent when he came to the football club. And, you know, Fergie said about him being the next Duncan Edwards for good reason. Like, we've, I think we've talked about this on the show before. I look at it like this, is that, yeah, Man United shouldn't have given him that contract. I understand why they did at the time, because they were trying to tie people down. And this was a, a defender who was an international player who played at two concurrent World Cups for England at that period. And was committed to the Manchester United cause. Now, he's not played games because of his body. Why are people blaming him for that? Why are people acting like he doesn't want to play football? Because that's what United fans have done, you know, and that's all they can see is that this guy has failed. Phil Jones is going to have to live with this for the rest of his life, the whole of his life. Owen Hargreaves, who you now watch on the screen every week on BT Sports, had his career tragically and inexplicably taken away from him through injury. Did he want that? Did he want to come to Man United, win the Champions League and then have to never play again? I fans stupid. So I get really impassioned about this part of the, the debate as well because I don't think that Phil Jones ever wanted that. Phil Jones gave up his rightful testimonial because he didn't believe he deserved it. Now, a lot of United fans say, no, he didn't deserve it. But you know what? He did deserve it. He's been at our football club for 10 years and we should look after our own. That's the way I look at it. It's not his fault that he hasn't played. It really isn't. And, and I think the injuries are just going to be a tragic footnote to a young player that could have been a superstar for Man United. Like Fergie chose him over Varane, right? Fergie chose Phil Jones over Varane. And people say, well, that's mad because Varane's won all of that. Well, yeah, if you knew that 12 years ago, great. But no one did. No one knew that when Phil Jones was a 15, 16-year-old boy, he was the best defender anyone had ever seen in that age group in England. He really was. And Man United went and got him. And in his first year as a kid, I don't know if you remember, Scott, how good he was. Like, he came in straight into the team, played left left back, right back, centre back, central midfield. We were like, this boy is amazing. He's just bad luck. And, and, and I wish him well. Whatever he does, I really hope that in kind of the future, it's the right time, obviously, to go now. Probably should have gone a couple of years ago, of course. Um, and just sad it didn't work out for him because... I think had he been fit, 
he, he could have become a United legend. I really, really do believe that. But the technical ability that he had and the courage that he had, people should remember those things and not just remember the injuries because it just sucks. I just hate the way people treat people like that. And it's I don't think it's Phil Jones's fault, whereas people will blame him because his body gave up. Yes, Phil Jones will leave Manchester United in the summer, the club have announced. Uh, Rob, one sentence on Sadio Mane. No. <laughs> There's your sentence. I, th- I think the thing with Sadio is that, yeah, still a good player, but I think when he left Liverpool, reasons for why he left Liverpool, why he went to Bayern Munich, we've seen why it's not worked at Bayern Munich. So would it make sense to bring him to Man United? It would upset all the Scousers, of course. They'd be very, 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 very sad. And we'd do loads of shows on it. But I don't think so. Not at this stage. Like you've said about bringing in younger legs. Sadio Mane not got younger, yet, younger legs, is he? I think you could probably go, if you're going to go for that age group, Harry Kane, but... Well, lovely tear, because there, there we go. So, you know, I'll wrap up the show shortly, but I, we've been teasing it all show, but I did speak to Dimitar Berbatov earlier this week. Uh, so we will run that shortly for you to listen to at the end yeah. of the show. But <clears throat> what you can expect, and you can read in full what he said on 90min.com, he didn't only speak about Manchester United, he spoke about... Uh, Tottenham, he spoke about his favourite goals ever. There was one that he scored against Bayer, against Roma for Bayer Leverkusen when they just mm. played in the in the Europa League. Uh, he scored that in the Champions League in 2004. Uh, he, was, he was really good fun. Uh, but what he did talk about was Alejandro Garnacho and surprised me actually to hear why he picked Victor Osserman as the one that he would like to sign over Harry Kane because he has interestingly been in the situation that Harry Kane finds himself in now where Manchester United are publicly trying to go after him. He pushed for the move in 2008, only managed to get it on 1st of September 2008 after Daniel Levy had dug his heels in. He had a price that he wanted and eventually he got it. Tottenham even went to the, I think they went to the Premier League to complain about United tapping him up. <laughs> yes. uh, which is uh Those were the days. Those were the days. Those were the days. But uh, yeah, we'll run that in a second. But Rob, uh, thanks again for today's show. Uh, any final words? No, Dimi, it's good to have him on the show and to hear from him. Um, he, you know, I used to watch Dimitar Old Trafford and I, I wrote a piece once about him standing on the halfway line smoking cigarettes because that's how I used to watch him. Like he just used to walk around in the postage stamp. He never kind of went left, right and ran behind people he just did his own thing and uh i think now we kind of re- remember him w- much more fondly i think when i look back at dimitar berbatov he was such a great talent uh, an incredible striker and and he came to manchester united because he was again cherry on the cake wasn't he, he came to united a team that had an incredible uh set up and and you know he did all right didn't he he won trophies and uh yeah we do love a bit of dimmy we do indeed we'll run that in a second but yes you can subscribe to our show wherever you get your pods and watch us YouTube on YouTube twice a week, Tuesdays and Fridays. We are just over a week away from the end of the Premier League season. So we'll be back to cover it all for you either side and look ahead to the FA Cup final as well. Head over to the channel, like, subscribe, leave a comment for us. It, hopefully plenty of comments today. Let us know about anything that we've talked about, how you feel yeah. about anything that we've talked about on today's show. Uh, subscribe. Apple, Google, Spotify, etc. And follow us on the Twitter as well, at underscore Scott Saunders, at underscore Rob underscore P, and at Promise and MU for the show. And head over to 90min.com to see more from Dimitar Berbatov. But until next time, thanks, Rob. This is, I've been Scott Saunders, and I will now roll for you a few minutes of my conversation with Dimitar Berbatov, a Manchester United legend. Thank you very much, everyone. How do you reflect on this season under Eric Ten Hag uh, to date? Let's say if they do get top four, is that a good season for them? If they get top four, if they manage to win the FA Cup uh, and they have already won one trophy this year, then that will be that will be a good season in a way, even great season. Uh, if they don't win the FA Cup and manage top four, that will be okay season in my in my opinion. If they don't manage top four and don't win the FA Cup, then that will be a bad season. Although they already had the trophy. But maybe because I always put uh, United in my book to keep high standards, 
you know, that's why maybe from time to time uh, I want uh, and say my opinion that United should always fight in, on all fronts. I know it's difficult because uh, the Premier League has not been won since Alex Ferguson the last season. Uh, but nonetheless, it's still United and they need to, to be fighting on, on every possible trophy. And I was disappointed, to be honest, when they didn't qualify for the uh, for the semis for Europa, UEFA League, Europa UEFA League, you know, because Leverkusen is there. And I was expecting Leverkusen and United to play each other on the final. You know, that would be great. But now it's about Leverkusen going there. So, yeah, sorry. I mean, if they, if they win the FA Cup, qualify for top four, then that would be a... Uh, a really good season, in my opinion. Can I can I ask you if that had happened, where would your loyalties have lied? <laughs> well, that's a question that people always ask me: Spurs or United, you know, stuff like this. And I'm like, guys, I have two kids. It's like asking me who is my. <laughs> you know? It's the same. I respect all my former team. I watch them. I follow them. And that's why uh, I'm happy to see Leverkusen. We're going to sp- speak about them later, probably going and doing fi- fine. But at the same time, United is United. So I want them uh, to do good as well. So you mentioned there about United getting back to the high standards, right? Um, I think they need a striker. You yeah. you came in, you did bits for United when, when you joined. Joining from Tottenham. What What do United need to do in the summer? I'm guessing striker you think is a pretty obvious one. What kind of striker do you think they need? Someone who can bring you goals. Because obviously the job of the striker, uh, although striker now, strikers, they change a little bit. But the main thing remains. Strikers need to score goals. Uh, for example, Vechorst, he's doing fantastic in the defensive type of work. Going, running his socks off, chasing people, doing tackles uh, in the inside the box, you know, like a midfield defender and etc. But he doesn't score goals and people are judging him on that, you know. Uh, obviously, uh, when you when you buy United a striker, he needs to be someone that you say, yes, this is the guy who's going to give you 20 plus goals. I already said a couple of times that I think that striker can be Victor Osimhen from Napoli. Uh, I think he's fantastic from from the way he's scoring goals and how he's scoring and the speed and everything. So if United are going for for striker striker options, uh, one on my list, the first name will be Victor Osimhen. Harry Kane's been the other one who's been linked so much so heavily. Prefer Osimhen over Kane? Probably. Now in the summer we're going to be witnessing again that type of saga. Kane going somewhere, you know, that TV soap opera. Uh, but at the same time, I don't think he's going to leave. I think his legacy with Spurs is so big now that you cannot tarnish it. Maybe you want to, but you not allow yourself to do it because it's so big, you know. And you know, the goal-scoring record and uh, everything that he's achieved with Spurs. When you say Spurs, in my mind, is Hurricane. First thing in my mind, Hurricane. Uh, and his story with Spurs is unbelievable. And I think he's going to be staying there uh, in my mind. And the only thing I would wish for him is he's going to be scoring goals. Probably break the Avon record at one point. Probably. Probably the one thing I want to wish him, and he knows it, everybody knows it, that maybe along the way he can win something as well. Just an interesting one, actually. I think obviously Daniel Levy is there as well, and he's uh, known as a tough negotiator. Is it fair to say you were in that position <laughs> in like 2008? Uh, United and Spurs didn't really get on at the time, if I remember rightly, uh, but the deal did come through in the end. Do you think it'd be really massively difficult for United to pull this deal off anyway? Well, Daniel Levy is a businessman and he's defending uh, his club. He's working in the interests of the club. Uh, and if I was in his place, I would do the same thing. So he knows exactly what he wants. He knows exactly how to get it. Uh, if there is going to be negotiation and uh, United will proceed uh, and try to buy Kane, the negotiation will be very difficult for them. And they know that. They've been there before with me, with Karik, you know. And at one point, they'll, they'll do it again. Uh, is it going to be with Harry Kane? Well, well let's, w- let's wait and see. The price tag will be massive. Will be massive. Uh, but at the same time, as I said, 
I don't think it's going to happen, honestly, guys. I think the legacy, sometimes players build legacies and you don't want to break it. Uh, sometimes even legacies and records are more important than titles, depending who you ask, you know. So everybody needs to choose. In this case, Hurricane needs to choose what is important for him and then and go and do it. Joe, you know, I noticed this. I always remember this goal you scored in the Champions League. You kind of flicked it over your head and lobbed over the goalkeeper. I didn't realize that was against Roma for Bayer Leverkusen. Do you remember well, that? Do I remember that? That's in my top three. In my so get, go on, then give me your top three. Well, that goal against Rome, it was one of the most beautiful uh, goals I ever scored. It's a bit underrated, to be honest. Absolutely. Because it was a long time ago in the stadium. But at the same time, um, when people ask me about my goals, what do I like about some of my goals? And I always say that goal in Rome. If you didn't watch it, go on YouTube, check it out, you know, because... It was a moment of magic. And before the game, I was telling everybody in the dressing room, I'm going to score today. So when I score, you follow my lead and we're going to wave for the empty stadium like there's a people there. You know, and they were like, all right, Derp, so light. And, you know, in the game, I score and it's like, I was doing like this, come with me now. And it was a great goal. And uh, in the end of the day, though, all seriousness aside, the goal, it's a goal. Sometimes the ugly goal can give you the most important three points. Sometimes... A really beautiful one can be just that. Just a beautiful goal and you lose the game 5-1. for them. Yeah, for sure. Top three you mentioned. Is there one that stands out in particular that you scored? Well, people always remind me about that goal against Liverpool. The bicycle kick, you know. Uh, and I always say, yes, of course. I mean, it was a good goal. Uh, although the most important goal in that game was the third one because it, win- it won us the game. That was the most important. But if I say three, I would say that against Liverpool. This one against Rome. And uh, one goal I scored against Charlton. You know, I turn around with the ball, I flip it, I outrun the defender and I score. That was also a good goal. Dimitar, uh, thank you, or Berber, thank you so much. Um, just what did want to ask you, actually, if you wouldn't mind, just a word on Alejandro Garnacho before we go. Just because he scored at the weekend, looks a wonder kid, doesn't he? I think he's in the right place at the right time. I think the future looks bright for him at the moment. I think that when a youngster go to the first team and start producing, I think he sh- he should be le- left alone to just play football. Uh, don't pay too much attention to him in a way. Medias don't need to put article on him how good he is and he's the next Messi or Ronaldo and stuff like this. Just leave him be, enjoy his football, play the football uh, because he's a talent. And as I said, he's in the right place at the right time. Erin Hack, you can see he's counting on him putting him to play where he thinks is the right time to put him to play. Uh, and he delivers, like the goal he, he scored last time. That was well-composed goal, you know, going into the space, getting the ball, defender chasing him, but then he was very composed and knowing exactly where to put the ball, you know. So that's why I say the future is bright for him at the moment. If he stays on the right path, I think he's going to be okay. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.